Okay, ready? Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the podcast. We are the Ambassadors at Large. And each episode here, we uh, take on one question about the international system and we talk about it, we try and understand it. The question can be uh, past, it can be present, it can be future, it can be topical, it can be philosophical, it can be hypothetical. Uh, the only stipulation is that it has to be interesting, hopefully for you as well as for us. Uh, today's question, we're going to talk about uh, what is going on with uh, the European migration crisis. It's a fast-moving thing. Uh, our topic list sort of changed in the last two days just since we agreed to do this to the time that we actually are recording this. It's Tuesday morning, September 15th. And uh, um, I am your host, Joe Genie, based in Washington, D.C. Great to have you with us. And I'm delighted to introduce my podcasting partner today, uh, my good friend, Chiara Monti, uh, podcasting from... Uh, Chiara, where are you right now? I'm actually in Vienna at the moment. We're so in a very hot place for this crisis, as we want to call it. I, I, I was going to say, well, yeah, whether it's a crisis is, is itself sort of a, a um, I would say it's a crisis at this point. Um, it, it's, it's amazing that actually, I mean, like just, la- just last night, like while I was asleep, uh, Austria announced that it was reimposing border controls after Germany announced it was imposing border controls. Yes, and, and many other countries are following. Uh, the Netherlands and Slovak country, uh, the, the Slovak um, prime minister, interior minister also mentioned this yesterday, and the Czech Republic, I think, as well. So, so I mean, we'll get to the actual crisis in a moment, but this is just sort of like, um, uh, I... Are we just watching the end of Schengen like before our eyes, or is this temporary? Um, hopefully not. I think there's a lot of um, I don't know. There different countries are playing a bit with this border control issue to pressure. I think especially Germany, it's more to pressure other countries to get to an agreement about relocation key distributions, which is has been one of the major issues. Um, discussed yesterday at the special, the emergency summit of the um, EU interior ministers. Uh, so I guess it's been, it's not really the end of Schengen yet, hopefully, uh, but it's definitely a key moment for the whole system. Yeah, I, I um, it feels like what the Germans are doing here is kind of like, kind of reminds me of when like South Sudan got independence and was fighting with Sudan over because the only oil pipeline for, for South Sudan's oil went through Sudan. So Sudan was like, you have to pay, you know, uh, an exorbitant rate to use this like 100 times the normal rate. And so the South was just like, all right, we'll just cut off oil completely. Uh, uh, like, <laughs> it seems like this is this is just a car like, like, by the way, if we if your policy, it, you know, if, if, if you guys are being unreasonable about this, we can absolutely make life miserable for everyone. And yes. <laughs> yes. Also, because Germany has, I think, it's the only country in Europe is the country in Europe that has the highest number of borders with other EU countries. I think it's nine. So if they start playing really hard on border controls, well, that could be tricky uh, very quickly for many, many other uh, countries. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Uh, um... I, 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 we'll get back a little bit to the European response at the end of this, but I, I guess um, uh, so. So you've worked on on migration in both the public and private sector, and so you, you you're, you're an expert. I'm not. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I um, uh, so basically, my my question is, why is this happening now? It's not like I mean. We've seen people trying to migrate from not Europe to Europe for a long time. They used to come mostly through other routes, and they used to come in far fewer numbers. What's changed that has caused this to just be, I mean, we've seen you know, the images, just sort of the, the groundswell of, of just huge numbers of people walking, taking boats, however they can get um, from, where they're, from where they are to where they're going. Well, uh, it's difficult to give one uh, to find one reason only of course is as always these matters are extremely complicated if you want i can start with a few numbers um in the past in the first eight months of 2015 there has been more than 500,000 
people detected at EU borders compared to 280,000 from last year. So the numbers, as you see, and we are not, 2015 is not over yet, so we can expect um, the situation to be even uh, even more um, concerning, um, especially for certain countries. Germany expects um, one million of people uh, arriving this year compared to 173,000 from last year. And this is also the same for, uh, for Hungary, um, which with Sweden and Austria have been the, the, the countries with the largest numbers of asylum requests as a shared population in the last few years, as well as Greece and Italy. So um, we're talking about uh, a major uh, influx of migrants coming from different routes uh, and trying to enter the EU. It, it's also interesting, if you look at the maps of the routes, um, Different. We have uh, different groups, different nationalities trying to enter from different parts. Um, it's mostly Syrians, of course, and Eritreans, and another few nationalities. But these two are the, the one with the the also the one that increased the most over the few, the, the past few years. Um, I mean, the situation in Syria is unfortunately very well known uh, to everyone. I think we have more than 4 million refugees right now just from that conflict. Yeah. And, and the countries, the, the neighboring countries that until now have been hosting the most, the, you know, the highest numbers of these of people are also getting to their uh, capacity. Uh, I mean, very close to the full capacity, I guess. So situation, it's, it's a mix. It's, it's a mix. Of reasons, yeah. I, I mean, it seems like the the two biggest single things that have tipped this were um, the, my oh. understanding is that I mean, for starters, obviously the Syrian civil war um, in Syria. You, you have I think Hans Rosling's numbers here were yeah, you've got twenty million Syrians, twelve million of them are displaced from their homes, eight mm -hmm. million of those are displaced within the country, and then four million uh, around the region, and of those, mm -hmm. about I don't know something like eight hundred thousand have tried to get to Europe. So, I mean, Lebanon has more Syrian refugees than all of Europe combined. Mm -hmm. And so this, this could get, you know, I mean, one out of every five humans in Lebanon right now is a Syrian refugee. And so this could get a lot more dramatic uh, in terms of the sheer numbers of people who are, are, are coming. Uh, the other thing that happened uh, is that the Gaddafi regime fell in, uh, mm -hmm. in Libya. And I didn't actually know this, but apparently Qaddafi was basically uh, Europe's bouncer, I believe is what Max Fisher <laughs> described yeah, him as. Yeah, that could be a very good definition. <laughs> he, he was basically being paid to patrol the Mediterranean because, the, you know, the, the two, I mean, it, it's interesting. There, It seems like there's, there's sort of four main, you showed me this map that Frontex has. I mean, there's actually more like eight main routes, but it seems like the the sort of try to get in through Greece, try to get in through the e, you know the the sort of Eastern Europe mm -hmm. e, EU countries, um, and Hungary winds up taking a lot of this, which looks arbitrary map wise, but actually sort of makes sense when you actually look at what what's EU and what isn't. Um, and then the other pathways are try and cross the Mediterranean either into Spain or into uh, or uh, over to to Italy, and. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Gaddafi used to basically close that route. And then the last route was basically the Sahel route, which is where you, you go, everyone, everyone like in the African Sahel, which is the long band between the Sahara and sub-Saharan Africa, as so you're talking like Niger, Chad, everything all the way over mm -hmm. to, to Senegal. Um, everyone would just go to Dakar, try and hop on a ferry illegally to the Canary Islands, which are owned by Spain and then get into Spain that way. Um, but you look at the numbers and it's like 150 people have done that illegally this year. And, yeah, I mean, it's also the routes have been changing very, very quickly. Um, as soon as the, the, the controls have been uh, strengthened. So I think that's one of the reasons, for example, for the Canary Islands. Um, and, you know, like traffickers and smugglers, they're very quick in uh, changing uh, the, the path and changing systems and uh, they're... The, that's uh, and people. I mean, people want to leave. 
so they they won't be they won't be stopped by by some I don't know by the increase of um, patrols uh, in a in a specific area or things like that. It's very difficult to to effectively um, enforce these controls. Now, one thing we have to sort of distinguish between is between migrant and and refugee because mm-hmm. this has caused some confusion. Uh, my understanding is that migrant is basically a, te- a catch-all term for everybody who's who's trying to leave from one place to go to another place. But you know, the, you have to distinguish between refugees who are a subset of migrants uh, and who are. Um, basically being forced to leave their homes mm-hmm. and fear persecution if they return versus everybody else who's generally sort of lumped into the idea of being an economic migrant, someone who's leaving to uh, t- to just try and seek a better life in another country. Correct. I mean, the the, the biggest definition, uh, the biggest um, differentiation when you talk about migration is between forced and voluntary migration. Uh, so... Migrants usually refers could refer to all of these groups, but uh, has been mostly referred to um, used to refer to economic migrants, especially when we in this debate when we discuss uh, when we you know differentiate between migrants and refugees. So voluntary migrants, economic migrants, are people that decide to leave, take the like actively decide to leave their countries, is looking for better opportunities. Abroad uh, could be uh, better education, better working uh, opportunities, better life. Uh, they're also very different. They're mostly, I don't know, young uh, men, um, very entrepreneurial. So if you look at the, the profiling, as we, if 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 there's a if a profiling could be possible of of these groups, there are very different groups. Also, refugees are people that are forced to leave their country um, and uh, they are they are defined by the 1951 uh, UN convention as someone who has fled his or her country because of, of a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race religion nationality membership uh, of a particular social group or political opinion um, so this is you know these are the people that cross the border uh, for for these set of reasons, um, see another group of forced, uh, uh, some another group that could uh, be under the forced immigration is the IDPs, the internally displaced people. As you refer, as you mentioned, there's a big number. It's one of the, the there, it's one of the biggest groups uh, of the biggest victims of the um, current conflict in Syria, and those are the people that are forced to leave their their home. But they are staying within the borders of the country that they're where they live. I mean, th- th- this is the other thing about the, the Syrian conflict is that uh, people are being forced to. It, it, you know, it didn't start out as a sectarian conflict, but it's quickly turned into one. And uh, um, a lot of people, like one of the things that's happened in Syria is that there have been these sort of pitched changes in who's controlling what territory. And every time that happens, there's a new outflow of people who have to leave. So now, for example, we're, we're getting word in the last couple of days that Russia might be building an air base and intervening more actively on behalf of the Assad regime. If somebody actually wins this conflict, e- either if Assad loses or if Assad wins, either way, there's going to be another huge outflux of people who are just like, I can't live here anymore because my yes. side lost. Um, of so course. This, yeah, this could change very rapidly. I, I, we do have to do a little bit of an aside here to explain Eritrea, because if you look at all the countries for whom people, you know, where people are coming from, mm-hmm. Libya, Afghanistan, um, uh, Iraq, uh, um, and Syria in particular, and Eritrea, all of them have a war on except for Eritrea. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of people haven't heard of this country um, you're you're Italians, obviously. You have heard of this country. <laughs> yes, for <laughs> not maybe not great reasons, but yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, Italy used to be it used to it once colonized Eritrea, and yes. um, the the the, Eritre- the Italian colonial legacy, I think, is excellent in so much as that amazing gas station in uh, <laughs> the one with the wing. Uh, if you're listening to this by your computer, um, everyone. 
Google uh, uh, Eritrea gas station and be prepared to be amazed. It might be the coolest gas station in the world. It was built in 1938 by this famous Italian architect. And it has like unsupported concrete wings and it's like deco futurist and it's totally awesome. And it's somehow survived all of the subsequent wars. Um, but apart from that, Eritrea does not have much, unfortunately, uh, at the moment. Um, so, so Eritrea got independence in 1993, and since then, it has never had a democratic election. They don't do like the like sham election where the dictator gets 99. percent They just don't. They just don't bother. Um, everyone in between the ages of 19 and 40 is uh, available for compulsory indefinite service to the state, usually military. And so basically if you're that age, you can either be forced into indentured labor for an un, you know undetermined number of years, or you can flee for Europe, which is a crime against the state. And so I, I believe if you're Eritrean and Syrian, I think those are the only two nationalities. If you're Eritrean and Syrian and you get to Europe, you are automatically considered a refugee. Yes. I, yes. <laughs> It's it's an amazingly badly run country. Yeah, um, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on. That 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 was basically all I want because like a lot of people. I mean, it's like why you know one of these things just doesn't belong. But uh, but yeah, no. Eritrea's government is really bad. They've also uh, in the twenty two years that they've existed, they've managed to have a war against every single one of their neighbors, or at least a military skirmish. They had a border dispute with Djibouti. They had a military skirmish mm-hmm. with Sudan. They had like a naval skirmish, like a really sad naval skirmish with um, with Yemen, uh, and of course they had a massive war with uh, with Ethiopia in ninety eight to two thousand, and that could tip mm-hmm. off again like any second. Um, but yeah, so that's why I mean it's a small country. There's only like six million people in it. Less now because a lot of them have fled for Europe. But um, <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the um, the statistics of arrivals of ref- uh, asylum seekers reaching Europe in uh, 2013 and 2014, and uh, Eritrea went f- from being number eight in terms of nationalities uh, to number four, and I think is increasing, uh, will be much higher this year. Um, so, and this is together with Syrians, Afghan, uh, people from Aga- Afghanistan, from Kosovo. Uh, so, as you mentioned, uh, Eritrea is a bit the, 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 the odd, um, the odd, uh, name on the list. Oh, and I forgot to mention they they scored below North Korea on the World Press Freedom Index a couple of years ago, which you, which you is didn't, impressive. You <laughs> didn't think was possible. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and of course, at this point, they have this sort of love hate relationship. Like technically, the everyone who has left for for Europe, large, largely Italy, actually. When I um, yes. Um, my, my, when I, when we were in Bologna together, we, we went to graduate school together in Bologna. And when I was there, um, uh, I, I had a, uh, there was a guy who was my sort of DJ promoter around town who was Eritrean. And I just, you know, he never, ever talked. I tried to talk to him about Eritrea because I was fascinated and he just would not talk about it, but it's clear that he, he probably left to co- avoid compulsory service to the state. Um, like, like many of them do, um, but yeah, um, oh, yeah. Eritrea, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, um, uh, which is actually one of the is the for example when I was saying at the beginning, um, different nationalities have come clearly. I mean, it makes sense uh, through different routes. Eritrea is the top nationality, for example, for those arriving to from, from to Italy. Um, so it's um, it's very it's very interesting, and um, they're out, yeah. And, and, a huge, and a huge number of remittances go back. And this is one of the things, I mean, these days, uh, so like the government is kind of dependent on these remittances, you know, the, the economy is kind of dependent mm-hmm. on these remittances, but technically all the people sending them back are traitors to the state. So it's, uh, it, it does kind of raise this, this, I mean, that is actually an example of, of what's kind of happened where the line between economic migrant and refugee is kind of blurred. Mm-hmm. Like everyone fleeing Syria pretty much can be called a refugee at this point. But 
uh, most of those folks are more technically, I mean, once you get to Turkey or Lebanon or Jordan, you're no longer persecuted. You're, you're in a safe place. You're just in a place where there's no economic future for you. And so a lot of them are proceeding on to Europe. So at that point, are they still refugees or at this point, are they kind of economic migrants or some sort of hybrid between the two? This is, this is the point that Eric, Victor Orban made. It's probably the only good point that he made. Um, but... <laughs> Well, yeah. Uh, um, I mean, it's of course the the differentiation. As I'm, as I said, it's very difficult to, to differentiate between the two because most of the times there are mixed motives. Um, why? I mean, I'm leaving. I'm crossing the border. So as you said, I'm in a. I'm safe. I'm not uh, persecuted anymore. So I could potentially stop there. But why do they want to come to Europe? Well, because of course they they hope, they expect. To have better possibilities, better lives in Europe than maybe in, uh, in some of the neighboring countries. It's also related, you know, sometimes they also have networks. Uh, there are, uh, especially in certain countries, um, there are people that migrated there in the past and they want to reconnect. Um, also, it's interesting, of course, everybody wants to, uh, I mean, if you, if you, read or listen to some of the interviews that have been done to, to the refugees arriving to Europe. Of course, everybody would prefer to go to certain countries instead of others, like Germany and Sweden, uh, most notably because their uh, asylum conditions are supposed to be better and the opportunities for, for, for those remaining are supposed to be better, uh, integration, easier. Um, I mean, those are, uh, of course, you can argue, everybody can argue with this, but those are the, 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 the ideas that are um, that, that are in, uh, in these people's mind when they arrive. But because of the legislation, the current legislation in, uh, in Europe, of course, the, the, this is not possible. Um, the, under the Dublin uh, system, um, and the current Dublin Third Regulation, <clears throat> refugees arriving to Europe ha- have mm, have to file their asylum request to the first member states uh, of entry, which means for most of them, Italy, Greece, uh, Spain, Hungary, um, and this is what is making the situation very. Uh, within Europe, very tense and uh, so controversial, and and it's also why it's very difficult for for countries to agree on any change or any relocation of migrants or of refugees arriving and uh, and and so on and so forth. And this this sort of leads to this sort of bizarre thing where everyone's trying to get to to Europe, but. Uh, not to the countries that they're actually arriving in and and, and this sort of gets to the european response and how complicated it is and how each individual country is i mean it's been amazing to see each individual country react differently to this you you've seen you've seen mercy and pathos and and you've seen just cruelty and indifference and overt na- nationalism mm-hmm. and all sometimes all in the same day um and it's just been i mean it's been remarkable like i just uh, you know, when when I when I heard, I mean, Serbia is not in the EU, but I, I got this sense that basically the Serbs were like, you know, this was this was us 20 years ago. And so they've been really good about letting the refugees sort of go through Serbia in order to get to European Union territory. Uh, but then they get to Hungary and Hungary is like, I, I think like I feel like Hungary's reaction here is best summed up by that video of that camera woman, like kicking and tripping refugees. Like there's no real plan. It's just like, like, ah, we're angry that you guys are here. It's like they, they, they don't want them to arrive, but, but once they're in, they don't want them there, but they, they also don't want to allow, but like none of the refugees want to stay. The refugees just want to go through Hungary to get to Germany or Austria. So the, the Hungarian response has basically been like, we don't want you here, so we're just going to make this as difficult as un- and unpleasant as possible for you to get through our country to get to where you're actually trying to go. Uh, it, it seems like some of their policies are just overtly contradictory to to their stated goal of not having refugees. Yes, and I mean, uh, today is also a very interesting day for Hungary because they are starting to 
implement a new tougher legislation on those that will be found in crossing and, and illegally in the country. So we'll see what is going to happen in the next few days. Uh, it's it sort of, I mean, when, when, when Germany, like Germany seems, and, and of course Germany has also reimposed these border controls, but as we said, for basically to pressure the other EU countries, Germany's mm-hmm. response has been so much better than basically everyone else's. <laughs> like they, like when, when, when Angela Merkel said, we're going to take 800,000 people this year, um, and then, you know, a few days later, the the whole EU plan is to take 120,000, which is just, uh, yeah, or, or, <laughs> I, I know it's going to, yeah, but it's, yeah, no. it, it's a bit, <laughs> no, I mean, go on. Yeah. It, it, it just seems like, like uh, the way the, the way Europe as a whole has reacted to this has, has kind of been it kind of reminds me of the way that the the reaction to the financial crisis is sort of like these these halting step like because there's so many members it just takes a really long time for policy to take shape i actually have faith that like a good policy is going to come out of this i just think it's going to take a long time and there's going to have to be a lot of public proposals there like we'll take this many we'll take this many that have already been overtaken by events and then eventually they'll get the, the policy right and, and and we'll actually have like a, a more organized system but it, it's clear that there's just like you know, the, there's no way to handle like this, the, the, the you know, the, there's, it, it ha, they have, things haven't been set up to handle this huge of, of an influx. And that's why you're seeing these, these wildly dis, disparate reactions within the membership. I mean, you know, it's like everybody has like, is aware of the fact that the Dublin system as it is now is, is a failure. It cannot, it's not sustainable anymore. Um, the European agenda on migration um, approved on in uh, in May 2015 by the Commission um, has already put in place a meter, like a review uh, at, um, an evaluation of the Dublin regulation uh, by mid 2016 uh, for a possible re- revision, which I hope. Uh, the, the the events of these days are actually uh, gonna add pressure on the commission and on the member states, especially for having this happening. Uh, which I think is what hopefully the, the German, like I mean, Germany's uh, decision and declarations over the past few days uh, are will contribute to this. I was a bit uh, disappointed by the um, the outcome of uh, yesterday's um, yesterday council um, because the interior ministers couldn't really agree. I mean, on, on principle, there was a uh, the conclusion uh, which was uh, presented by the presidency of the council, not by the countries, um, said that there was an agreement in principle on the one hundred twenty thousand. Uh, refugees over the uh, from uh, I mean to to the, from Hungary, uh, Italy, and uh, Greece, but they haven't agreed on uh, on quotas on key distributions. Um, so um, we'll see. We'll see. They actually and they and yesterday I think they also agreed to the forty thousand uh, refugees that were actually in the proposals from the commission from May. So it, it's a lot, as you said, it's a long process. Sooner or later, hopefully, they will arrive to some conclusions. But the the, the, the tensions and the divisions between the eastern countries on one side and uh, the others are pretty visible to everyone. And, they're, and I think they will be very difficult to, to overcome. Yeah, I think um, with the possible exception of the the Greek debt crisis negotiations, I have never seen two EU leaders stand up next to each other at a podium. Was it Donald Tusk and Viktor Orban who were basically just like, "We had a meeting. He's wrong." Like, it was just it was like the most tense press conference I've seen in a long time. Like they just they just did not agree on anything. Yes, no, definitely. It's been a very um, yes, yeah. It was a pretty, pretty tough, um, pretty tough meeting. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, so so I man, uh, you'd like to be a fly on the wall and, and oh my god, um, yes, for all yeah. these things, yes. Uh, wow, I I, I just. Um, this does raise the question. I mean, we, we sort of should explain why, like, why there has been such a negative reaction in so many countries to this. I mean, if you looked at it from a purely technical perspective, most of the countries receiving refugee, most of these refugees are young. They're, they're, they're often skilled labor. They, they, most economic models show that they actually pump life into the economy. They're good for the economy. A lot of these European countries are aging. I mean, like Italy's birth rate is 1.1. There will actually be like demographically no Italians by like the 22nd mm -hmm. century or something like that, the way it's going. Yes. Like, um, um, you are the last one, actually. Um, <laughs> so much responsibility, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, like... You know, most of Europe is aging, and, and and technically this should be a good thing, but people, I mean, it, it's interesting because it kind of shows the the like why e the European Union does and does not work. It's sort of this compromise between nationalism and post-nationalism, where like everybody gets their own country, and it's pretty. Uh, thanks to various wars and ethnic cleansing over the years, that country is pretty identity based. Like it's pretty clear, you know, like it usually has the name of the, the dominant group in the title, like Hungary. It's mostly mm -hmm. Hungarian. Um, but because everyone sort of secured their borders and, and, you know, the identity of the state is not questioned, people are not afraid of each other anymore. Like nobody, nobody's like, oh, like, you know, Germany might try and take some of my land again like they did in the 19th century or the early 20th century. Like nobody does that anymore, Russia notwithstanding. And, um, and so that, that's what allows people to sort of cede a lot of their sovereignties, things like border controls that people can pass freely within mm -hmm. the countries, things like finance, you know, you know, control of their own currency, to, uh, ceding a lot of this power to Brussels. And that's what, to me, at least like as an outsider, that's one of the things that makes the EU go. And that's one of the things that makes the EU great. Now, with these, with these, with these large numbers of migrants coming in, they're still only accounting for something like zero. I think, I think Jean Claude Juncker said it was zero point one one percent of Europe's total population this year. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the numbers. The, yeah, in the long run, um, in the long run, Europe's population is stable or declining, and the sheer number of people. I mean, most of the countries from whom people are coming to Europe right now have vastly different demographic makeups. You look at a country like Eritrea or a country, even a country at war like Syria or Yemen, a lot of these places, they have very young populations that double every 20 years. Like, you know, Eritrea has 6 million people today. It'll have 12 million by mid-century, um, possibly earlier. Um, and, uh, and so if you look at it in the long run, uh, the Islamic Maghreb countries are not like this. They're older, but like, you know, especially like, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, the Sahel, a lot of people who were trying to reach through the Canaries who are now going through Libya because Muammar Gaddafi isn't there to stop them. Um, like demographically speaking, this could actually change the overall demographic of, of, of European countries. And that's, I mean, like this is, Victor Orban has said this explicitly and everyone's been like, that's horribly offensive. But, uh, but, <laughs> but if it was actually, I, I don't know, like, uh, I th I think it is. How shall I say? This is not a normative statement, but it can be destabilizing to actually change the over the overt makeup of a country that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why countries are reacting so reactionarily to this. I mean, clearly, it's um, it's. You know, it, it, of course, if you look at the demographics, if you look at if you look at statistics, we desperately need migrants to come to Europe, and but it's very you will never or you will find very few leaders, uh, political leaders, admitting this. Um, especially now, every basically every country in Europe has a populist movement. Um, which is in most of the cases also anti-immigrant, uh, like I mean, using anti-immigrant rhetoric. In, uh, in so it's 
if you think about, I think many of the actions by this by the countries and uh, by their uh, prime ministers or ministers in these uh, recent summits um, of EU member states can be explained by the fear of their national uh, of all the, these national movement uh, these movements that they have within their own borders. So yeah. you know it's they would use are these these movements would use arguments like oh you know we have high unemployment rates. Um, why we should have more people coming here and compete with our with our citizens for jobs? Uh, they there's also of course a cultural um, element. Uh, there's a you know they, they fear to, their identity uh, to be threatened by the arrival of these people. Um, for example, I think there were in the, the recent days there were declarations by. Governments like Slovakia would say we are gonna um, accept only Christian refugees, no Muslims. Um, and similar, you know, the, similar declarations also from um, from did, did other actually, other countries. Did they actually state that, or or did they just sort of like implicitly? Is, is, <laughs> like, because Victor Orban actually said, you know, Europe won't be a Christian continent anymore. But but I, I thought everyone else was being a little more subtle about it. No, I mean there there were headlines in about this uh, about this in uh, from a few countries over the past few days. Um, so and and. And the fact that yeah, certain countries have been quite open about the the the, the fact that they throw they they fear um, basically that this Muslim influx, especially of course you know people coming from Syria and other countries in the region, like they they are afraid that they will threaten the European Christianity. This has been um, an argument that has been used in many of the Eastern um, countries, for example. Uh, but this, I mean, is. It's not just, of course, these are arguments used in the debate, um, which are always very contra- uh, controversial, very, I don't know, superficial. You can't, uh, you can't, of course, explain the entire uh, situation with those. It would be very, also would be very risky. Um, I think, you know, it's, it, it's uh, I mean, the concern about uh, the economic uh, consequences, for example, it could be plausible. Uh, there are studies. Uh, I mean, there, the majority of the studies, at least the, the ones that I read, are saying that um, refugees are um, are actually like they're not affecting. Once they are allowed to work, they're not um, lowering the 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 wages, at least not uh, in a longer run, in in the like even for the national workers. They're not, and they're not competing uh, directly with uh, domestic workers for for jobs. They're, most of the times, they are um, they compensate, like they they they, they do different jobs, and uh, the, so it's it's still um, the consequences on an economic level they should, are not necessarily negative, as negative as they have been portrayed by. Uh, many people over the past few days or and yeah, over the past few months. A couple of things that really sort of moved me in, in all of it. I mean, like w- one was this, this thing going around Facebook where it's a, a photo of Steve Jobs and it says mm-hmm. son yeah. of a Syrian refugee. Um, so the, the U.S. is not immune to this either. We've t- we've Obama has announced that we're going to take 10,000 um, by the end of, I think, over the next two, two years. Um, and um, uh, I can't remember over how many years, but it was... Um, 10,000 refugees against the total toll is is extremely little. And, you know, the United States is a big country, and we just had a housing crisis. Like, there are Phoenix and Vegas excerpts that still have no one living in them. Like, we have, you know, half of Detroit is abandoned. We could physically take a lot of people really quickly, um, uh, but we don't. Uh, and we have Donald Trump, so, like, we're not immune to <laughs> sort of right-wing populists either. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> But um, I, I, the other thing that really moved me was, was the sort because I, I sort of, I don't know, I'm really cynical and nationalism doesn't surprise me. So, so a lot of the sort of negative reaction, I, I sort of expected that. But I've been amazed by the positive reaction. People are just so nice. They're just, they're just decent. It's been wonderful. These, these like pro, 
migrant rallies that have taken mm-hmm. place. You went to one in Vienna, right? Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I actually went to one in uh, in Bologna, my hometown. Yeah, yeah. but oh, there was like a, but was all over the all over Europe the same day. So yes, uh, that was. I mean, that was just that was deeply moving to me. I didn't expect. I mean, I, I guess I should have, but like, I didn't expect that. I, I, I just, I'm used to people acting in their own venal national self-interest. I, I was just delightful to see huge numbers of people. And, and to remind that, like, you know, these these right-wing parties generally get about 10% of the vote, sometimes like 20% of the vote. And while it's possible that that could tip in response to this, like, in general, most people are decent. And and not to say that, that nationalists are not decent, but like most people are just like, I don't know. I, I'd actually be interested to see what the what, what the overall numbers are of like how people feel about this. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't. No, no, I, I completely understand. I was actually having a conversation about this uh, with peop- with friends from from Vienna the other day, and you know, Vienna is. I think they have local elections in a few weeks, and uh, we were thinking what is going to be the the impact of this huge influx of these past few days on the elections uh, because Vienna has been you know it was it made the, the headlines basically on I think internationally with uh, all these rallies all the people um, volunteering at the Vespanov where is most of the refugees are arriving from Hungary uh, people driving to Hungary illegally uh, to um, take on some refugees and bring them uh, to to Austria and by the way some people were telling me that at the beginning most of the refugees were refusing to get on these cars because they thought they were uh, traffickers so they, they were a bit oh. puzzled by, by this uh, sudden um, uh, you know <laughs> generosity uh, but yeah so I mean you know Vienna has been has been at the center of many many positive stories over the past few days. And we were thinking, you know, we were we were trying to um, make predictions of how this is going to play on the on the elections, and we we came to the conclusion that it's still it's very hard to tell because, uh, of course, the city. Um, many of my friends here were very, were very surprised as you were and as I was about the, these, you know, so many positive reactions. But of course, when you count the ballots, it might not be reflected there. Um, and and also on the other hand, it might have scared more, even more people that were already scared by the this threat that was very abstract until a few weeks ago. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what's going to be the the effect. Uh, but um, was interesting. For example, the um, SPO um, leader, the like candidate for Vienna, uh, made a very uh, you know, finally very precise, uh, took a very precise position about the, the, the migration crisis here. And he said that, you know, we, Vienna is ready to, to take all these people. They're going to be very open about it. So, which I don't think you, I doubt you would have said, you would have said, uh, take, took that position if he didn't have numbers in his hands, suggesting that this is what the public opinion is in favor of at the moment. But... Who knows? We'll see in a few weeks. Okay, so we, so we have a couple, just a couple of. We have, we are rapidly running out of time. Uh, it's it's. Uh, we started this podcast at like seven in the morning Eastern time here uh, here in Washington because of the. This is this is what you get for podcasting across continents. But, uh, we are an international relations podcast, so they exactly. Um, so um, uh, they, I have two more real quick things that I, I feel we should we should briefly go over. One is this idea. That, this is looking forward to what's going to happen in the long run. Um, one is uh, David Miliband's proposal. He, he's now the head of the, the International Rescue Committee. That basically what should happen, ideally, is that there should be a system where people are not having to cross over, ma- making dangerous crossings, paying huge amounts of money to traffickers who often abandon them to die. Um, that the EU should basically have a system where people are actually picked up from from where they are, brought to Europe and then distributed under a quota system. Um, and this would sort of undermine the traffickers, undermine the sort of immense pressure put on on Hungary and Greece and Italy, uh, get everyone distributed correctly. I mean, probably, I mean, 
that might be something that <laughs> in five years will will be set up. But like that, I, it was a really interesting idea, and that kind of brought me to you know the whole idea of a quota system. Uh, that kind of brought me to the the other thing I was thinking about, which is in the long run, what happens to these these folks? Like in theory, the war in Syria will end someday, and a mm. lot of them can go home. But a lot of them won't. Like, do they become citizens? I know this is a complicated question, but but, but basically, you know, like for for people who are afraid of of you know, there are you know, when Victor Orban says you know our Christian you know Europe will be swamped, um, let's pretend for a moment that huge numbers like that this actually got to the point where that that was the case. Are these folks going to become citizens of the EU or in the countries where they? Like what happens well, to them in the long this run? Is very, at the moment, it's very difficult because the, the, um, this like, uh, citizenship and, um, and especially the, the asylum um, systems are different still uh, across member states, even if there has been, a, there has been, there have been many attempts to, to, come, to actually set in place a common European asylum system uh, for real. Uh, but until now, there's still um, a lot of uh, heterogeneity across states in terms of, of rights for asylum seekers and refugees, and also both in the short term and in the long term. So, um, yes, probably most of them will stay. Uh, I assume some in some countries will be uh, they will be able to to go from a temporary permit, which is what most of them gets now, to a more permanent. Uh, term, uh, permit. So yes, m- probably many of them will s- remain. Of course, you know, in um, among the, the solutions for for refugees crisis, usually you have the relocation, the resettlement, which is what you were saying, uh, taking people directly from the the camps in neighboring countries or from the region and resettle them somewhere else. Uh, but the, the the return is what everybody would want, uh, in theory at least, for, for these people, which is not always um, a possibility, especially for extended, uh, protracted, um, you know, displacement. Um, yeah, and and, and in, in theory, like the UN convention on this, like the 51 convention, like in theory, these, they should be going everywhere. Like it should, I mean, of course... Uh, I keep quoting the Hungarians, but they they keep sort of like bringing up the things at the crux of the issue. Like they they were like, well, but they don't want to do this. Um, like in theory, it should be like you five thousand go to Uruguay, you thought five thousand go to like Costa Rica. You know, the whole world should be pitching in here. But mm-hmm. but in practice, like people want to go to Germany. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that that's one of the biggest the biggest problem at the moment with, uh, you know, with the European crisis and within the European member states as well, because you were talking about uh, quotas and uh, et cetera. I mean, the, the proposal that the commission uh, presented in May, uh, both for the relocation and, and for the resettlement um, plans, um, had basically, the, just to briefly summarize, because we, I know we're about to conclude, but the European agenda on migration had uh, a, within itself for, um, a proposal for 40,000 people to be relocated between member states. So those that were arriving, 40,000 people um, arriving to Italy and Greece would have been relocated to other countries. So their application uh, for the, the, their asylum application would be processed in a different country. So it was a basically emergency um, um, suspension of the, the Dublin system for these uh, people and for these countries. And that was um, the proposal was that these would have been um, uh, mandatory according to some distribution keys, which were um, the GDP, the population size, and inversely the, the, the number of... Um, applications um, already accepted and uh, the number and the the, um, unemployment rate. And the same criteria were also applying to 20,000 people that should be resettled from third countries to Europe, which is more or less what you were suggesting at the beginning. Uh, And this was was supposed to be on a voluntary basis. So in principle, both these proposals have been 
accepted, but in fact, not really. And none of these has been made mandatory. So now the numbers we're talking, as we said at the beginning, we're talking about 120,000 people to be relocated uh, within Europe. Uh, and we're not talking about any more about resettlement, at least when it comes to your uh, to the EU, because uh, that was already approved. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, ultimately, this is the you know the the the, the plan that plan sounds good. Uh, it's just that it needs an extra zero or possibly two on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we're talking. You know, it's a it's a bit of a tough. Um, it's you know, it's gonna be a tough challenge. Um, also. It's, um, I don't know, there have been a lot of discussions about, for example, finding ways to have these people applying for asylum in, uh, in third countries, in, at embassies, at camps, or, um, you know, to organize um, humanitarian um, asylum, um, humanitarian visas and things like that. But all these proposals have been, um, have been very... Uh, you know, debated, but they didn't turn into anything concrete yet, at least at the EU level. I, I feel like, the, you know, usually, so I, I used to work at the UN, and whenever you heard the phrase, all you need is a little political will, it was like a death sentence. It was like, that's not going to happen. Um, but in this case, I think actually, like, if you get the political will among, a, you know, a few key players, I really think that there's, that you know, that something could be done, like like a, like a good policy sort of, Haltingly, like if I had to guess, in in a in a couple of years, there will be something more concrete in place, and, and you know, hopefully the Syrian war will be over. Although it's certainly possible that it won't be, but um, but in any case, we're gonna have to wrap it up here, uh, just because I have to go to work. Um, but, <laughs> but Kira, thank you so much for coming on the program. Uh, do you have any do you have any plugs? Are you sort of are you like on the internet? Can people find you? Um, uh, sure, yes, I'm on LinkedIn, Chiara Monti, uh, and you can reach me from there, I guess that would be the easiest. And then, yeah, Facebook, tw- I'm on Twitter, which is also a good way, I guess, to, and I tweet about migration and EU affairs, so... What, you what, is, what, is, your, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, Chiara MNT. Chiara MNT, okay. All right, <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'm following you on Twitter, I should probably do that. Um, I think I'm I will follow following you. On you but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I hope I'm following you on Twitter. I I, hope. I... <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. This, this thank is you. Um, we are the ambassadors at large. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to the program. Uh, as for me, uh, I'm uh, again Joe Genie, uh, your host, based in Washington D.C. You can find me and the podcast at joegenie.com. J O E G E N I. Dot com, uh, and we are uh, hopefully you're subscribing to this on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to us, leave us a uh, a glowing review about how great we are. Uh, it helps, um, and uh, and we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.